0: You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. The first episode after the election decision with Vice President Biden, now President-elect Biden. So we have a new administration on the horizon it's unclear at this point uh in terms of the senate what's going to happen uh you know i think uh, that's going to probably be very telling uh it looks like the chances are that the senate will continue to you know be in the hands of the republicans and in that regard might not change a whole lot frankly for us because if there is republican uh uh, Republican control of the Senate. Uh, well, that's you know that's where the the doors kind of get closed to anything potentially um, more, you know, sweeping and progressive, uh, or whatever you want to call it. So let's uh, let's see what happens there. In the meantime, uh, you know, I think that there are some things that uh, we ought to think about uh, with regard to what we might do with our taxes. Um, This year, presumably, rates are going to be lower this year uh, than they will be in the future. Um, So that's something to consider. Uh, The end of bonus depreciation is another one. At any rate, uh, we will keep an eye on that and and hopefully, uh, probably have uh, you know Tom Wheelwright or one of our other tax professional types come on and and discuss some of those issues uh, later on uh, as the year progresses. Now. As uh, for today's show, I want to back up a little bit and go back to some fundamentals, which is the Wealth Formula, right? So Wealth Formula obviously is the name of our brand, your brand, you know, part of the community. And uh, let's not forget for a moment that, uh, well, formula, it's about a formula, right? A mathematical formula, right? I mean, that's really kind of, I think, part of what makes us different, makes me different, is it's not a hand-wavy type thing. What we're saying is, you know what? There is a formula to this. And when there is a formula to something, it makes it so that it's something that is possible for others to reproduce those results and get the same uh, same outcome. So, so in our case, the mathematical wealth formula, uh, I ripped off from Newtonian physics when uh, he says that momentum is the product of mass times velocity. Well, so I just kind of riffed on that and I said, well, what is wealth? Well, wealth is uh, a product of mass times velocity times leverage, right? So of course, in this case, mass, I'm not talking about any kind of weight or or density or whatever. Uh, in this case, mass is simply uh, how much money you invest, right? You've got to invest more Money. If you want to create more wealth, it's simple. You could have the highest leverage and the highest velocity around, but if you're not investing anything, guess what? You ain't gonna make any money, right? That's just the way it is. And if you think about why the rich get richer, well, there's lots of reasons for that, right? But fundamentally, one of them is that if you can invest 80% of your income for the year instead of 20% or 10%, Well, guess what? You're going to create more wealth, right? That is, of course, if if you're doing well with the other variables as well. Leverage is another one we talk about, which frankly is critical. Leverage is, of course, debt, right? And despite what some popular personal financial gurus say and what some of the you know, doctor types uh, in the doctor eco uh, financial ecosystem say uh, significant wealth creation, in my opinion, and I've seen it firsthand, is almost impossible to create without the judicious use of debt. You must use debt in order to get wealthy. I I believe that, unless, of course, you know you're. Lady Gaga or, you know, your are LeBron James or, you know, you're an actor and you can create a lot of wealth. And I'm talking about being able to do it with your investments. If you're doing it with investments, you got to use, you've got a lever lever. Think about what that means. It means taking some strength and multiplying it. And that's exactly what leverage is, right? It serves to amplify your returns. And after all, growing your wealth at five percent per year is quaint and cute, but you know what? It isn't gonna make you rich. And what we're trying to do with on this show with our community is to really, really create significant wealth for our listeners and our credit investor group and stuff like that. So that leaves us to one more variable uh, velocity, which velocity, well, I think it's kind of the most underrated. Mostly because it's the least understood, right? And it's 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 less appreciated than the simpler concepts of you know leverage and and mass. But velocity is really important, and it's complicated because it's not simply a yield, right? It's not a cash on cash an ROI, which is what I think some people think about in the concept of velocity. But the way I think about it in the way I think about it in terms of the wealth formula is velocity is best thought of as how quickly you get your money back into your pocket from an investment. So then you can redeploy it into another opportunity, right? So let's say you have money invested in one apartment building and then that apartment building refinances and you get your money out of the deal, right? And you maintain your equity position so you're not, you know, liquidating that holding, you're just taking the same capital you invested out of it and then you now put it into another investment. So effectively what you've done is you've recycled capital. So now you can recycle that same capital into another investment. You don't have to earn an, another chunk of money in order to get into the other investment. You just recycled what you got from the first one. Now you're invested in two assets at the same time using the same initial capital, right? So velocity, therefore, uh, is a function of time. If you can do the same work in half the time, you're going to double your annualized returns. Now, if you redeploy that capital into multiple opportunities, you begin to see exponential growth of your wealth. And that is really what velocity, the power of velocity is all about. And while that might seem like a fairly simple concept, it's not the way most businesses think at all. I'm telling you, it just isn't. Even the most value-add apartment syndicators out there seem pretty blind to the concept. It's like this fourth dimension that people don't seem to see, that every day that value is not created in a real estate project, that essentially decreases the return on investment. That is the way it is. If you're not increasing value over a period of time, you're decreasing your annualized return on investment, and frankly, that's the secret that drives our investor club partner, Western Wealth Capital. It is as as Dave Steele, who will talk today, likes to talk about the need for speed. That's what it's really all about. And if you have been part of our investor community, or or and or have come to one of our live events, you have seen these. Concepts come to life, and it's truly remarkable, right? We can sit there and talk about equations all day, but this is uh, this is really coming to life. You see, the math itself is actually quite easy, right? And that's that's not that hard, even though it seems like most people don't think about it. The math is quite easy. You see it happening everywhere. You see people making a lot of money, and once you know those variables. It makes sense, right? And the hard part becomes execution, execution and speed. And in this regard, Western Wealth Capital is the wealth formula, sort of coming to life. I mean, it is sort of the, the, the physical form of this formula. So, to talk about this uh, remarkable organization that most of you already know, This week's podcast interview that I'm going to do is with Dave Steele. Now, Dave is, of course, one of the principals and co-founders of Western Wealth Capital, along with Janet LePage, and you are going to love this interview uh, from the standpoint of not only education, but Dave's just a great guy and a lot of fun. So when we come back, Dave Steele on the Need for Speed. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast. Well, he's certainly no... uh, He's not a mystery man around these parts. He is—he's uh, a guy who, if you've come to a wealth formula event, uh, you know him well. If you've—if uh, you've been part of our investor club or a credit investor club, you know him well uh, from there as well. His name is David Steele. David is, of course, one of the uh, principals of Western Wealth Capital, uh, wh- which is a uh, major partner of our accredited investor group. Uh, Dave is uh, you know David's been uh, in real estate in this space for a long time and and uh, you know western wealth capital is is not his first rodeo he's um, you know he's been uh, he's offered leading edge investment opportunities to thousands of individuals in Canada and the us. Uh, Um, From 1997 to 2001, he was the CEO of an international properties group. Uh, It was a Toronto Stock Exchange listed real estate company that purchased apartment buildings and converted them to condominiums. Um, You know, he has uh, done, he's been in real estate for a long time, has seen it all. He's he's actually um, also been involved with uh, the uh, entrepreneurs organization known as EO. Uh, and I believe that's where you met Ken McElroy, which we'll talk about in a second as well. Um, Dave, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast.
1: Thanks, Buck. Appreciate you having me on.
0: Isn't that the story, if I remember correctly? Isn't that where you and Ken uh, know each other from?
1: Correct. And uh, the, when I got started in real estate, I had a business partner named Phil Carroll. And we were business partners from the day we got out of university. Um, and Phil moved to Phoenix. Uh, probably 25 years ago and met Ken McElroy and we bought a whole bunch of buildings with Ken McElroy and really got to know Ken well. He was a great property manager and, and, uh, and Ross was building. And so they, you know, they had a great program. Um, And about seven or eight years ago, my partner, Phil, passed away from cancer. And uh, so, you know, we, we had a long history together buying and selling, uh, you know, tens of thousands of units all throughout the U S
0: and Canada yeah. No, and, and and uh, you know, we've had Ken on the show a couple of times, of course, and you know, he always says such great things about you. He's uh, talks about you as being a genius, and you know about uh, everything that uh, Dave touches does well, and all these things. So, so obviously, there's a lot of mutual respect with one another uh, for you guys. So, obviously, we have had uh, you know you at the meetings. We've you know talked to you before in uh, the investor club, etc. But you know, for those people who don't know a little bit, you know about your story, tell us a little bit about how you ended up in the multifamily space. Because, as I recall, uh, you uh you started out as an entrepreneur doing something different. You were entrepreneur of the year in Canada. Uh, so how'd you you know, what were you doing then and how'd you end up in multifamily?
1: Well it's kind of interesting, Buck. I mean, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. Right out of university, the only job I ever had was a commercial mortgage broker. And I did that for six months. Uh, And then my partner and I were on a vacation and we saw these houseboats and we thought, wow, are those ever cool? And we thought, man, we could build those. So we built two houseboats um, and we rented them out for the summer and it turned out to be quite a cool little thing. Uh, And then we got approached by a tax accountant and he said, hey, do you realize you could sell these to individual investors and rent them out on their behalf? So over the course of the next seven years, uh, we built a fleet of 1,200 houseboats all wow. across the U.S. and Canada, in ten different marinas from Florida to Oklahoma to Missouri to California and all across Canada. So it was, uh, you know, it, was it was quite a business. Uh, we did win Canadian Entrepreneur of the Year um, for, for the kind of the starting of that business and our claim to fame, which, you know, now you get older, you want to have certain claims to fame. Our claim to fame was when we got to 1200 boats, we officially had more boats than the U S Navy.
0: <laughs> that right. That's hilarious. Well, good for you. And then, so then you go from there and then you probably got the idea, well, you're renting stuff out and, and, you know, the next thing you know, you're, you're in, you're in housing, right?
1: Well, and then we, then we saw an opportunity in Calgary to start buying these small apartment buildings. So we started buying little kind of fourplexes and eight-unit building and 16-unit building. And so we found a really cool building that was about 20 suites. Um, and, you know, we thought we needed some panache to the building. So um, we went down to the corporate registry office in Canada and got the name registered for Trump Developments. So our company was called Trump developments and this little four story building, we named it Trump place. And we bought one down the street. We called it, it was five stories. So we called it Trump tower. Uh, And we named another one. So all across Calgary, there's these, you know, rinky dink little buildings, um, all across, all across Calgary where, where we have these little buildings called Trump and still to this day, um, you know, whether it's good or bad now in today's world, we still have the name Trump developments. Um, And just before Donald Trump ran for president, we got a letter from his lawyer (laughs) saying, you know, you have to cease and desist using the Trump name in Canada. We have the name registered. So we got on a call with him and I had to remind him, look, we've had this name registered as a corporate registry for 25 years. And so he very quietly hung up the phone and never heard from him again.
0: (laughs) That is too funny. I would not heard that one. Um, and then, of course, Western Wealth Capital comes, and this was, you know, this is in the last six, seven years. How did that? Uh, how did that come up? To how did you join forces with uh, Janet?
1: Well, my partner Phil and I were speaking at a conference on real estate, and we had bought a bunch of houses uh, after two thousand and eight. We were in Phoenix at the Courtyard Steps buying foreclosed houses. And you know, we were buying a you know, a fifty thousand dollar house that today is two hundred thousand and we were, you know, buying them as fast as we could. We raised a big fund and we're speaking at this conference in this you know, real crackerjack gal comes up on the stage, and it's Janet. and She's talking about buying and flipping houses, and she's bought them. And, you know, she's obviously very smart. She's really got her act together. Um, So, you know, afterwards, we went for a cup of coffee, and then over the course of a month, went for another cup of coffee. And eventually, she came to me and said, Dave, look, I found this little 28 Sweeter in uh, in phoenix and i need three hundred thousand dollars and so over the course of lunch i said look jan this is a no-brainer i'll just give you the money myself um and it was quite funny because her business plan at the time was the previous owners were two school teachers from california and they had personally painted the building lime green so our business plan was we were going to repaint this lime green building back to brown. <laughs> Janet told me as enthusiastically as someone could tell me that her business plan was she was going to tow all the cars from the parking lot <laughs> that no longer had tires on them. I thought, okay, Janet, that's quite a business plan, but you definitely get the point that, hey, if you just clean this property up, there were 28 suites eight of them, they'd robbed the, you know, the stove and the fridge from a unit to put into another unit. So they were selling 28 units worth of a building with only 20 units of revenue. So, you know, you know, all of a sudden what sure. it looks like we're getting eight units with no revenue, and you're basically getting them for free. So she called me back that night. She said, hey, look, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm super excited. You're going to give me the $300,000. But I don't want to just take your money. I want you to bring in a couple other investors. And I kind of laughed and thought, wow, that's pretty, I guess, ballsy, if you will, for her to, you know, have the guts to say that. And I said, yeah, Janet, no problem. I'll bring a couple buddies in. And I said, by the way, why do you say that? And she said, well, Dave, because, you know, we're going to make so much money on this deal that I want other people in. So when we go to do it again, you know, I've got a bigger base of people to go through. Um, And so we gave her the money. turned out to be a spectacular deal. And sure enough, two weeks later, she calls me back and now she's got a deal that needs $3 million. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, again, we kind of circle the wagons, we go speak at a couple different events. Um, And, you know, Janet is, as everyone has met through, through Wealth Formula, you know, she, she really is, she's just very methodical, very analytical. She's got that computer science brain where I'm, you know, I'm just much more of the entrepreneur. I've, you know, over the years, you sort of develop a feel for real estate, um, And so we get, I get an invitation for us to speak to this group. And there's a, you know, big group about 150 people to speak to that are going to potentially invest the money. Um, And as we're walking onto the stage, she taps me on the shoulder and she says, Dave, I think I'm going to throw up. I (laughs) I don't like speaking in front of people. So anyhow, needless to say, we, you know, that, that became the second deal. And from there, it's been, you know, almost 80 properties that we've bought. And, you know, obviously, you know, you know, through our affiliation, we've, we've expanded the network and, uh, and just really continued to build on this, this amazing system of doing the same thing over and over to these buildings.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, and and just for reference now, what are we up to in in terms of real estate transactions, uh, you know, after those first couple of buildings? So we're up
1: to 78 buildings and 17,600 units. Um, I think at last count, we're getting close to closing number 79 and number 80. Um, So, you know, again, it's, you know, we're kind of knocking on the door of 20,000 properties Uh, of the, of the 70, of the, called the 78 that we've bought, we've sold 30 of them. And of the 30 that we've renovated, done the program on. We've held those for an average of 30 months and the investors have an average annual return on those of 30% a year. So, you know, that, again, that, I think that's, the proof is really in the pudding yeah. as to why.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's what we've been talking about so much and what people are so excited about within our group. And, you know, um, you know, just talking about Western Wealth Capital, uh, the model is really about Velocity in so many ways, which 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 made it a really good match for uh, wealth formula because velocity is such a key part of what we always talked about even before our affiliation with Western Wealth Capital. Um, you know when we talk about the speed of you know getting your money back in your hands to redeploy and the speed of the program, you know uh, at which uh we get into properties and we turn them around and you know we don't sit there and you you know you acquire a property and then start figuring out what color to paint things right i mean that's really what this whole model is about is execution and velocity do you want to talk a little bit about that cuz i think that that in many ways is what really makes this uh this model truly unique
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. I was sitting on one of the asset manager calls the other day, and I probably heard it said 10 times from different asset managers, and it's so ingrained in the culture, and the culture is the need for speed. The words that are used in our company are the wow factor and the need for speed. So the wow factor is, how do you take a very basic old 1985 building that's tired, that's been operated, usually remotely, how do you take that building and give it new life so that people really want to live there? And secondly, how do you do it really fast? Because the simple math is this, if, if I can buy a property and I can move the rent up by $150, that increases the value of that apartment unit by $30,000. If I can also put a washer dryer in and get $50, that increases the value of that unit by another $10,000. So that's $40,000. So if I'm buying a $150,000 unit and I'm putting, say, 30% down, that's $45,000 down per unit, and I can just do renovations and just do washer dryers and make 40000 that's that's 100% return on my money. Right. Right. So now the key is that's very definable. Right. And I think one of the things that our investors love about the program is they can look at every investment and say how much below the, 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 the rent, how much below market are your units? How much how many washer dryers can you do and how many gold star renovations you can do? And then mathematically, they can just figure out, well, if you can do 200 and you make 30,000 a unit, you're going to increase the value by six million. If you can do 200 washer-dryers and you make $10,000, increase the value, that's $2 million. So everybody can mathematically do the calculation quickly. But the key now is, imagine if you could do that in a year instead of three years. So that hundred percent return on your money you could make in a year or you could make in two years. And so what, what we've really driven is how do you create that formula and how do you do, how do you get everybody rowing in the same direction, the asset manager, the property manager, the design team. And a lot of it is we just plan so much of the work that it's, that it's virtually it's, It's go time from the day we take over the property, the day we own it. Whereas typically in our business, what happens is people buy a building and on the day they take it over, they start to have meetings and say, oh, I wonder what color we should paint the building. We should order some new lawn furniture. We should redesign the leasing office. Hey, I wonder what stove we should put in the renovated units. We've already got that system. And so Hmm. we're doing that 60, 90 days ahead of takeover. And it's really what drives the speed.
0: Yeah, and I think that is one of the critical pieces of this, and I think where a lot of people get the aha moment uh, when they when they listen to why it is and how it is that Western Wealth Capital has been able to do what they've been able to do over the past you know uh, six years or so. If you're talking about you know twenty nine thirty percent annualized returns, how is that possible over and over again? And the answer is 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 that. It's execution and speed, right? So think about what Dave is saying, just to emphasize the point, because I think it's a really good learning point. Typically, you're going to see a pro forma and you're going to see rent bumps that may not look that dissimilar from what a pro forma from Western Wealth Capital might look like. But that might be over five years. Now, if you're doing the same work over the course of three years or two and a half years, guess what? The, the the bumps are the bumps, right? And that's driving the net operating income and then the value of the property. If you are doing that in half the time, you're going to make double the money. And so it seems so obvious, but it really doesn't work that way for most syndication uh, real estate syndicators. So anyway, that is that is a huge uh, thing. The other part that makes it really unique, in my opinion, and Dave, maybe you can talk to this, is is the the type of financing that's used because not only are we talking about fairly quick holds and big bumps but we're talking about getting people to be able to recirculate their money uh, back into the next deal uh, and and essentially invest their money into place it at the same time because of that velocity. Do you want to talk a little bit about the the refinancing type programs yeah
1: totally. And just to step back to the last point, just to make one small point on that, the other thing that's a huge advantage now that we've got scale in certain cities that we're in, so, you know, we're the second largest landlord in Phoenix, right? So we're looking at a deal today that we we compare, and the comparative buildings that we're looking at in the neighborhood, five of the ten buildings that are comparable are buildings we own. So when we're sitting there and someone says, hey, do you think you can get the rent bumps? In a way in our business, it's a little bit like insider trading in the stock market. We know the rent bumps because I can go look at my buildings that I owe two blocks away and I go, hey, are we getting the rent bumps on that building? And I can look at my daily report, my weekly or my monthly report, and I can see the last 10 leases. And I go, wow, these guys, not only are they way under on what they're going to get when they're renovated, but they're probably $75 or $100 below what the market is today because we have such good information on the market. So, again, it's another, it's another piece that really is, is helpful to the whole program. Mm-hmm. What's, what's really driven the whole program is the first 30 deals we did, when we first got started, there was, there was different financing than there was today. So if I bought a building, I'd go get lender A to lend me the money. I would, I would do this work on the building, and I'd increase the building by $10 million in two years. And the only way that I could pull equity out for my investors was to go to a new lender and get a new mortgage on the property. And that was expensive. It was time consuming. You know, the lenders would take a big piece. You had to do appraisals. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, the lenders that were lending were like, geez, we we don't actually want to not, we want to keep this loan. Like we've gone through the tough lifting with you guys. Now we're going to lose the loan to another lender. So the lenders came up with a program where basically on the day we buy the building, they will approve us for a loan of 100% of the purchase price of the building. They'll typically only lend us about 70% on the day we take it over, but at the end of that first year when that building's gone up by $5 million, and the end of the next year when it's gone up another $5 because we've renovated so many suites, we've moved the rents to market, we've put in washer-dryers, and we've completely transformed the property. So at the end of that two- to three-year period when the building's worth $10 million more, the lender will just let us, almost like a line of credit, increase the mortgage on the property by 70% of the increased value, and then we get to take that equity and give it back to the clients. And the investors can then take that money – invested elsewhere, put it into another deal with us. And as you know, Buck, we've got many clients that that same $100,000 that they started investing with five years ago, they've now cycled it two or three times. Oh, yeah. So, And they still continue to earn four to 5% on their money invested annually on money that they no longer even have invested on that first deal.
0: Yeah. And there's uh, another element here, not that in, the, in, in my op- my personal opinion about multifamily real estate is if it's in the right hands, it's a relatively safe type thing. But in reality, if you've got your money out of a deal, you've essentially completely de-risked that deal as well, right? I mean, you're basically only getting the upside on that deal. So that's another advantage as well.
1: Yeah, 100%. There's no liability for any investors investing in the limited partnership beyond the amount of money they invest in.
0: Right. Uh, So, that's essentially the model. We've talked about that. We've had Janet on the show. We've had Tim. But I want to talk a little bit about what's going on now, right? Because the last six years uh, pre-COVID obviously was a a pretty epic run. You talked about the numbers, you know, annualized uh, average returns of you know, just about 30%. Uh, and so now we've got some serious stress testing happen. So maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, what's happened to the portfolio since March. Uh, and, you know, in, in, in that regard, you know, what role did market selection play in these times? Um, you know, what, what role did the fact that we're in workforce help, if any? If you could talk a little bit about that, that would be awesome.
1: Well, I mean, you know, as a company, first of all, we just feel we're, you know, incredibly blessed by being in the space we're in and the places we are, Um, you know, multifamily generally has proven to be a great place for people to have your money. It's been very safe. Um, You know, obviously, the collection rate in some markets has been much better than others. You know, Phoenix, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Atlanta have all proven to be good collection markets. Uh, So a lot driven by that affordability. Obviously, California and New York, uh, the collection rates are only, say, 85% versus 95% in these markets. So, you know, as a, as a place to put your money, if I was going to put my money into real estate, you know, I definitely would want to be in multifamily, ahead of office, ahead of retail. You know, it's debatable. It's kind of neck and neck with industrial. Industrial has been another decent place to put your money. But, you know, I think we've been incredibly blessed. And, you know, I think we're going to be really well positioned coming out of this um, because two things have happened. One, we're seeing super low interest rates, which are making, you know, just very strong opportunities. Um, and secondly, we're seeing this, this migration of people. You know, if someone said to me, Dave, you know, should I invest with Western Wealth? I would say that the first thing is, do you believe the movement of people out of California and New York City, these big, you know, these big New York State, these big states, do you believe that trend of affordability is going to continue? Because if you do, then yes, you should just, you should work with us and get, and fully understand the cities where those people are moving to. And if you're doing it on your own, you should go and look and understand where the people are moving to because they're moving to Arizona, for affordability. The companies are moving them there because it's it's affordable for the companies to hire people. And, you know, much like online shopping has just taken off through the pandemic, you, this same phenomena of people not having to go to their offices has driven more people into those markets. So, um, you know, we, we've been, you know, I just, we say it all the time, we've been blessed you know, we have a we have a teams on the ground and that are that are you know have worked incredibly hard to completely change the way we do the business and we've you know we've adapted I think incredibly well to what we've gone through and and uh but but I think we're we're very lucky to be in this space in the markets we're in.
0: You know, at the macro level, there was a lot of doom and gloom type talk. There was uh you know, I I had actually early on talked about uh how I felt like there was you know, pending defaults and all that sort of stuff, but it ends up that there really wasn't that much distress in the multifamily market, at least in the markets that we were in. Isn't, isn't that right?
1: Well, I I would say, and I would say the bigger issue is, you know, with sort of the news of a vaccine potentially on the horizon, you know, think of these massive institutions, Buck, and they really, at the end of the day drive, you know, they drive the business Um, you know, they have not deployed anywhere near the amount of capital that they're going to want, that they wanted to deploy in 2020. Um, And they're going to have entire sectors that they're not going to be deploying in. They're going to be sitting, taking a a, a broader view of where they really think retail is going to go, where they think office is going to go. So what does that mean? In my opinion, it likely means we're going to see a lot of institutional money coming into multifamily space. And then specifically, then I look and go, okay, well, what space is it going to go into? Well, in all likelihood, it's going to want to be safe at the beginning. People aren't going to, you know, they're they're going to be they're going to be maybe worrisome about you know these these mid-markets or these markets that aren't showing really strong job growth and population growth. So I I think I think the markets we're in um, and the space we're in, I think it's going to see in 2021. I think it's going to see a lot of capital coming into those markets. So, you know, the properties that we own, uh, I think we're going to be very, very happy with.
0: So uh, for those, um, you know, Dave, and you know, there still is this kind of talk out there that many are waiting on the sidelines right now, thinking that there is going to be a flood of defaults and blood in the street. Obviously, you don't think that that's the case.
1: Well, I, I, sh- I shouldn't say I don't think that that's the case. I think you have to be specific to the markets you're okay. in. Those just generally don't happen to be, you know, if, if our goal was to just buy everything we could buy that was value add, we could go buy in Kentucky and Tennessee and, Louis, you know, there's all kinds of places right. we could go buy. But as you know, we put a pretty strict box around the markets we're in, that we're in the markets that are showing the top job growth, the top population growth, and the biggest in migration. And so, you know, that pool of, that pool of cities is really about 10, 15, 20 cities that we really like. I'm much less worried about those 10, 15 cities being in default mode, because those are the cities that I think are going to be the biggest beneficiaries of people continuing to move there, even after uh, we come out of this. But, you know, if you said to me, would I be worried about markets number 35 through 70? Yeah, I I believe in those markets, there will likely be some defaults. I, I think there's there's people leaving, there's, you know, rents are going to fall, no question. Again, they mean very little to us because those just aren't, the, that's not the playground we play. Uh,
0: What um, what role did, you know, because specifically we're not in the space uh, through Western Wealth Capital or, you know, anything else that we're doing in, in Investor Club, we're not really in the A-class space, you know, the pretty trophy properties, et cetera. We're in really working class stuff. What role or benefit are you seeing, um, you know, with that with that particular niche right now?
1: Well, you know, it's still pretty strong because again, it's a safe place for people to put their money. They, you know, there was a transaction this year in Scottsdale on a Class A trophy property. I think it I think it sold at f- over 400,000 a unit, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, I look and I go there's the top at 400,000 and here's us down here, you know, we're at 150 doing our magic to get it worth 200, right? right. And I love that gap, right? right? I love that distance because you know, again, another thing we've seen through the pandemic that'll be that I think would bear well for us if there is any kind of a slowdown, again, is a lot of people in those bigger, more expensive units that were paying mm-hmm. $2,000 or $2,200 a month said, hey, i got to buckle down, i got to get through this thing, and mm-hmm. they, they got out of their $2,200 lease, and they moved into one of our $1,200 a month renovated units. Now, interestingly, they obviously wouldn't rent one of our classics for 1000 Right. They were like, I don't want any of that. But they look at the thousand dollars saving, and they go, "You guys have stainless steel appliances, washer dryer in every unit, hardwood floor, beautiful countertops. I'm going to save the thousand bucks." So, yep. so again, I think I think that that that's that's why that's why we like that yep. space. If you just think of it very simplistically and logically, it's. You know, it's what would we all do if we were in
0: the same yeah, place? absolutely. You are gonna, you know, you're going to have to buckle down a little bit and uh, you may not be able to be in the fanciest building anymore. Right. So, uh, you know, I, at our last meeting, which seems like a million years ago now, I don't even <laughs> remember when it was, it was in <laughs> Dallas at some point. But I remember you uh, in front of our audience that uh, you had an interesting talk that I thought, uh, was a, a pretty unique perspective. And you, you talked, and this is obviously pre-COVID, um, but you, uh, despite the fact that interest rates were as low as they were, your talk was about how interest rates were going to go down, that ultimately it came down to, well, compare us to the rest of the world, we're, we're actually pretty high. Um I guess maybe if you could elaborate on sort of that thinking that uh, got you that place, because obviously you didn't know about COVID, but it, uh, but you were absolutely right in terms of the rates. I don't know anybody else who was t- calling rates to go down at that point.
1: Well, we were at that time, we were really disconnected from the rest of the world in terms of, you know, a five-year, a five-year mortgage, uh, you know, that you could get in the U.S. at Three and a half percent. There were, you know, countries that have nowhere near the financial stability of the U.S., where you could get, you know, I think it was, I think it was Britain, you could get a, a mortgage for 0.75 percent, or France was 1.25. So they were, you know, there were there was just such a disconnect in the market. And you know, again, if you really drive the simplistic version of real estate, if you get inflation. Right, you're, mm-hmm. you're going to get interest rates go up. So, if, if we believe that there's a lot of inflation coming, then we're going to see interest rates potentially go up. I don't see a whole lot of on the horizon. I think we're going to see a nice spike when we come out of this. I think the, the, the economy will get back recovering, but I think it'll take a while. But so, so I, I, again, I don't think there's going to be a lot of upward pressure. Uh, on interest rates. And, uh, you know, the key is, is, you know, right now we have the option on our mortgages to go both variable and fixed or to take a variable mortgage and lock it in. Right now, we don't see anything on the horizon to go out of variable. Um, Mm -hmm. But we're certainly keeping an eye and at the appropriate time, we think at a very, very low rates, we'll lock these into fixed rate mortgages.
0: So, You know, along that lines, I mean, when you look at the macro level at multifamily, you talked a little bit about some of the pressures. um, You know, interest rates are low, pushing cap rates down even lower, and all of a sudden, you've got a bunch of money sitting on the sidelines uh, vis-à-vis these larger, um, you know, groups that are uh, essentially not going to put money into uh, sectors that are, are clearly failing. So obviously the next year or two, I'm guessing you're thinking multifamily is, you know, going to see some significant uh, uh, value, um, you know, coming its way.
1: Well, I, I mean, as you know, Buck, we we tend to really put conservative estimates into our performance mm-hmm. because, you know, there's no, you know, yes, we've hit, 29, 30% returns, but there's no win for any of us to go out to everyone and say, hey, put your money in and you're gonna get 29 or 30%. Because even when you do that, uh, you know, first of all, people say, well, Dave, it's too good to be true. So it almost makes it harder to convince people of the simple thesis, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you really look at it, the, the simple thesis is, number one, do you believe people are gonna leave California? And if so, where are they gonna go? And are they leaving New York? Where are they gonna go? They're leaving these more expensive markets. Companies are doing it because they can hire people for a cheaper amount of money. That's being, that's being layered on with low interest rates. But the biggest thing that it's being layered on with is in the next 10 years, just to get to equilibrium, the U.S. has to build 4.5 million new apartments. And right now, even pre-COVID, they, we were nowhere near hitting that number. So each year, we're getting a little bit further behind in the, in the amount of new construction. And so that means more people are moving in. There's a, you know, greater, greater demand. There's no new supply coming on at the rate to fill the demand. So it's going to drive up the rental rates. And so now with COVID, you know, the number of new units being built is down substantially. So they're going to look back at 2020 as a missed year. They're going to look at it as a year that we should have built, you know, a half a million units and we, and we didn't really build any. And so, you know at some point we'll come out of that and it'll start building up again but again i think there's going to be this there's going to be this pent up pressure of people moving in not enough supply and and again then it's just a matter of how fast you can renovate the classic units because the cla the the, the gold star renov- renovated units are way more in demand than the classic units
0: now, what do you do? Okay, so obviously we're gotten, we've got a low interest rate environment. We probably have something that's you know presumably I, I believe it to be a, a very a bullish environment for a multifamily, at least the way we're doing it and where we're doing it right now. But at some point um, in the next decade, there you know likely will be a time when rates start going up a little bit uh, when when you know when construction catches up a little bit. You know, that's maybe a few years out, but how do you time that? How do you hedge for that? I mean, is it about, you know, timing your exits, in other words? I mean, at some point you have to say, um, we've got this stuff. I mean, when do we know when to take chips off the table? I mean, could you comment a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And, you know, we're constantly going through the portfolio and saying, you know, what's the timing on the refinances on these? Which ones should we put in a pot to see what they're worth? We go and get them. We go and get them. You know, we don't get them fully appraised, but we get, we call the, the really good connections we have in the real estate world and say, hey, if we were to put this on the market today, what would, it, what would it go on the market for, which is actually almost more valuable than getting it appraised. And, you know, then we look down through. But, you know, so the, the real, the, the risk reduction for us is the ability to lock that into a long-term rate. Sure. But again, if you're going to get a rise in rates, it's generally going to be because we're having inflation. If we're having inflation, right. it means the rental rates are going way up. So as much as people say, well the cap rates are gonna the cap rates are gonna go up, the interest rates are gonna go up, you bet, but it's probably because you're not gonna be getting, you know, three and a half or four percent rental rate increases that we're putting in our model, you're probably in those days where you're getting seven or eight percent interest rate. Right. So or uh, not interest rate, but seven or eight percent rental increases. Right. So and and trust me, if we're getting seven or eight percent rental increases on these buildings if the interest rates go up a bit, it's it's not going to move the needle yeah, too much.
0: Makes sense. So uh, leave it at this. One last question for you. Obviously, we have a, a lot of Western Wealth Capital investors uh, in our group. Uh, just in general, if you look at the organization and what you've done over the last six years, what do you see Western Wealth Capital doing over the next decade?
1: Well, you know, it's funny because in the last six months, You know, we had a meeting the other day and we were sitting around talking about it. And I would say in the last six months, we've probably moved the company two to three years forward in terms of initiatives that we wanted to put in place. You know, we put forward things like, Uh, all the technology now in all the properties, the way people tour is now done differently, the way rent is collected. Some of our properties now that were 30% rent collection, some of them now are over 80% rent collection online. Now think about that, Buck. That means that we show up for work on the second of the month and 80% of the rent is already in the bank. So our on-site teams have just such a much narrower focus on all they've, not all they've got to do, but they, they know exactly what they've got to do to deal with the 20% and getting that collected and working deals out and all kinds of things. So, so you know, if you, if you said, where are we going to be? You know, the technology is no question is going to be game-changing um, just because this industry has been one of the last industries that have that's really embraced getting into the 21st century and really making property management. And, you know, because at the end of the day, if I'm an investor and I'm looking in, in a window into Western Wealth, the most important thing to me as an investor is our focus and, and what we do to make the experience phenomenal for the residents that live in these properties. Because if we can continue to, you know, people think, well, Dave, you just take this unit and you spend $6,000 and you make it beautiful. Well, that's a, that's a transformation, right? Right but if i can do that to the whole community and get it to the point where everyone wants to keep living in that community they want to refer to their friends they have great things to say about it they go in around the pool and they're not complaining cuz the pool furniture is not good or they go into the leasing office and they go wow look at this place so when we can make that transformation that's where that's where the money in the deals just falls out right. so you know i guess if you said to me what's our what's our number i don't think we're really we're not really a company that strives like, whoa! wouldn't it be great if we could get to 30,000 units, right? We're we're all still probably like all our investors. We're just in awe that we've ever got to even got to 17,000 units. But the number of units has never really been the game. The game has been how do we just keep doing this differently? How do we make the experience better for our clients that are putting money in? How do we make our experience better for the people that are that are living in the property? Because if we do that, we're all going to do very well by this.
0: That's right. Well, Dave, I uh, want to thank you very much uh, for being on Wealth Formula Podcast again and, and look forward to having you at our next meeting when, whenever that's going to be.
1: Look forward to the Friday night park Buck.
0: <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Dave Steele. Of course, Dave is—I mean—a really smart guy. He's also really entertaining, and um, boy, has he really nailed it uh, with you know his his thoughts on interest rates, et cetera. And it'll be interesting to see what happens over the course of the next few years. Obviously, he's very bullish on multifamily real estate uh, in these rapidly growing markets, specifically in the. Uh, you know, working class niche, which, frankly, I am as well. And uh, I'm excited to see what happens is a lot of this big money comes off the sidelines and starts coming into our space. I think it's going to be a real opportunity um, for those of us who already own significant amounts of real estate, but especially, um, you know, noteworthy is I think right now is a <laughs> probably a really, really good time to be buying. I know that that's not exactly what some others are saying. I know people are uh, talking about doom and gloom and defaults, but we're not doing and we're not buying right now with the idea that, you know, just in, uh, you know, a year we're going to make money. What we're talking about is what's going to happen over the course of the next, you know, multiple years, three, four, five years. And in that regard, I am very bullish on not only multifamily real estate, but what happens with our Western wealth capital. affiliation and, and all of those assets. So if you have not done so, and you are an accredited investor, make sure to join our investor club. Anyway, that's uh, about it for this week for me. Uh, this is Buck Joffrey with Wealth Formula Podcast, signing off.
1: Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment see you next time
0: buck joffrey here from Sapio with buck joffrey aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years it's already being done in lab animals so it's just a matter of time our challenge to be healthy enough for when that time comes as a former scientist and surgeon myself my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.